Hello everyone, welcome to Laughter at the Edge of the World, a conversation that is part of the Georgetown Literary Festival 2021. I'm Sharmila Ganesan, I'm a presenter with BFM 89.9. I host shows on the current affairs, arts, books and film. And with me today is Suvankam Tamavongsa. She's a writer, poet um, of Lao descent. She was born in a refugee camp in Thailand, raised and educated in Canada. She's written four poetry books, a short story collection, called How to Pronounce Knife and just a few of the awards that she's won um, the O. Henry Award, the Giller Prize so thanks for being with us today Swankam Thank you so much for having me here Let's start with the uh, the theme of our conversation today right laughter at the edge of the world so to me um your stories, they sort of use laughter, not in the traditional sense, then it's not humor as such, it's almost this bursts or pockets of, of release or emotion, um, or even uh, a respite from things that are happening that are a little bit more difficult. So I wanted to ask you, how do you write emotions? Where does laughter fit in? Um. What's important about these stories is that laughter is the cornerstone of them. It's true. Um, we, when we talk about laughter, we often talk about it as in um, uh, like we, we laugh at things that, that we do it out loud at something that's supposed to be funny. But sometimes laughter is a response or a kickback at sadness. It's a site of power. Um, it's also a response to anger. Laughter is also a reframing of, of a moment where we feel belittled. Laughter can also be um, a response to uplift oneself. Um, Laughter has an incredible range in a story. You can, it can, it can feel profound. It can be light or heavy. Um, there's just a lot to do with laughter, and it's not just laugh out loud, laughter funny. Do you remember when you first started writing, and um, what prompted you to do so? Um, I. I remember from grade one, it was writing my name. It was so difficult. I had so many letters and I was so jealous of a classmate whose name was just BJ. He just had to learn two letters. <laughs> and, you know, once I started learning those letters, I just, I wanted to keep going, you know, the letter after the letter after the letter. Um, I loved um, that I could think something in my mind that was private and I could write something and make someone else, you know, feel what I feel. Feelings, we feel them alone. They're so private. But how do you make someone feel what you feel in that very particular moment and I just thought reading does that and 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 then later on writing does that 
In one of your stories, actually, how to pronounce knife, um, you talk about actually a similar experience of a Lao child learning alphabets and how to spell in, in school and how um, there's a sense of anxiety and embarrassment uh, when she goes home and the contrast between the English that they speak and, and sort of are familiarizing themselves with at home and in school. And I was wondering about that tension for you, um, writing in English, but also having had to contend with English being something that was a challenge and how that feels and how that informs your writing. Well, in the story, how to pronounce knife, I'm very careful never to use the word uh, when the child does not know how to pronounce the word knife never to use the word humiliated, embarrassed, ashamed, because my own experience, not knowing a particular word and going to school, um, I was not embarrassed or humiliated or ashamed. What I, what I was, was I didn't know. That's all it was. And that I was going to know. Um, and um in my own experience, when my parents mispronounced things, they did it with absolute confidence. You know, um, like when I was learning how to pronounce the word knife, I asked my dad, what is this? And what is this word? And then, you know, he, it wasn't like he struggled with it. He said, it's knife. And I went to school and I said it with that same kind of confidence. Um, and I didn't understand why at school everyone was pronouncing it in a different way. And I wanted to hold on to what I felt at home, um, that, full, that confidence. Um, and I refused to um, learn how to pronounce it the way everyone was telling me how to pronounce. I kept asking why, and nobody with all their education um, could tell me that. It was just a rule that everyone else followed or agreed um, that a letter that exists not to voice it. So that actually takes on a, um, a similar sense of, I think, confidence and ownership in um, what I actually is one of my favorite stories, Chico Chi, um, and, <laughs> and how the, the, the words trick or treat then become this source of joy and enjoyment for these children. Um, right. And I was so taken by exactly that, this, this idea of reclaiming a language and how for, for migrants, um, English can become their own in some ways. Do you feel that about the language? For sure. Um, that's an inside joke in my family. We don't say trick or treat, we say chickachi, <laughs> even though we know, um, you know, that's not how you pronounce it. Um, I think um, what I'm doing with this book is. I'm making fun of the English language, but I'm doing it in English. Um, but at the same time, I'm in absolute awe at the power and magic that is the English language, but I'm doing it in the English language. So when you come to read my book, um, everything that you know about the English language, I make you feel like 
you don't know it, that you're discovering it for the first time. When you do read um, how to pr- the first story, you're, you too wonder, oh yeah, why do we pronounce, why do we not pronounce that letter there? Or um, yeah, why can't it be chickachee? Look, um, you get more candy if you say it that way. <laughs> is, um, is the way that you write, um, I find that they're very straightforward and almost blunt, the use of language in, in some stories, and um, deceptively simple. And I don't mean that as a bad thing. Um, I just mean that um, you tend to, uh, I, I almost feel like there are two layers, a layer that's fairly simple and a layer that then becomes more complex the more you think about it. Is that something that comes naturally to you or is that deliberate? It's very deliberate. Um, I want to be understood. For me, um, simplicity is is one is something that I strive for. Um, when I don't have, I don't want to waste a reader's time. What I say and what I do. I feel like that is the only moment I have with them. So I better get to the point. (laughs) Um, So it's something that I practice. Often we think that when we encounter something we don't understand or something that's difficult, it's somehow intelligent. But I don't think, I I don't want that to be a thing that we value where we don't understand each other. And, and we think that's intelligence. I think being able to understand each other to make it simple is, is a mechanic that is really difficult to achieve for a writer. How does that translate in your poetry then? Um, your poetry is also actually um, similarly um, worded at least, but then you have things like metaphors and, and layers and even the structure of your poetry sometimes. How do, you, how do you achieve the same sort of immediate connection while also using a form that can often be a little bit more difficult to connect with? Um, the way that I write my poetry is I often take a thing that anybody can understand, like I have many poems about insects, um, like um, a firefly, a dragonfly, a snail, an orange. And right there, we arrive at the page understanding what an orange is, what a firefly looks like. Um, But once we move into the poem, um, I get to frame and control what I know of the orange um, and 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 use it use the title um, to to come up against your own idea of what an orange is. I think um, we think we know the same thing, but um, perhaps we don't, or we come at it our whole life experiences, however narrow or wide that might be. Um, we arrive at the same place with a different view. Do you know at the start whether you're writing a poem or a short story? Do you plan what it is going to be? Yes, yes. Um, that's 
I, I've been writing for 25 years. So, you know, I, I'm not one of those writers who, who, who say, who, um, you know, wait for inspiration. I don't believe in inspiration. I believe in doing it. So if I want it to be a poem, it is a poem. If I want it to be a short story, it is a short story. That's what's lovely about being a writer. You get to decide. You get to choose and determine for yourself. So to take that back to what we started with, the, the idea of um, emotion and, and specifically the use of laughter, how does it change if you're writing a story versus a poem? Mm. I think, well, using only um, the writing that I've done, um, my poetry doesn't hold the same kind of laughter that my stories do. Um, that's one of the reasons why I moved or shifted gears to write prose because I felt with the poetry, I had to be serious. Um, and I set that tone early on um, in my writing and I wanted to change that. Um, I wanted my voice to change and it did in the prose. I was more relaxed and, and, and funny. I could be funny. I found your prose more intimate in a way as well. And, and now that I'm talking to you, I think because some of the stories seem to have come from um, or seem to have been drawn from your, your actual experiences. I wanted to ask about this notion of um, representing or being a representative of stories, because um, I think particularly for countries like Laos, and, and, and I find this sometimes with Malaysia as well, when you're a particularly small nation that the rest of the world don't necessarily know too much about, um, do you feel this pressure to represent that country in a particular way? Um, in my own case, I, oh, I was born in a Lao refugee camp in Thailand. Um, and we left Thailand when I was a year old for Canada. So it would be strange for me to be a spokesperson for Laos or, or Thailand because I really grew up as Canadian. Um, on Saturday nights, we watched Hockey Night in Canada and we drank Tim Hortons, <laughs> which is a Canadian coffee. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so it would be strange for, for me to be a representative of Laos. Like I think a Lao writer is someone who lives in Laos and writes in the Lao language. Um, I do feel tremendous pressure to be that. And I don't take, I don't court that because um, I know that would make me fail as a writer. Um, I'm, I'm really not that interesting. I'm just a writer. I know we want our writers to be more than that, like president, um, <laughs> to be a spokesperson or to represent things. But I think it's more powerful to represent like the imagination, the power of the imagination. And so I always try to bring it back to the work. Um, 
you know, I'm not president <laughs> or prime <laughs> minister. I'm just a writer. I can't represent a country and I can't change or, you know, I don't make a policy. I just put a word in front of a word in front of a word. And, and I, I think, I guess, by accident, that makes people want to come and, 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 and make you a figure um, um, to speak for things that they want. So when we think of that idea of words and, and telling stories, and specifically with your work, um, emotions, I, I do realize reading your story. So it made me think actually about how cultures and communities and families actually think of and embody and, and present emotions in very different ways. Um, words and what we say and don't say can often have a big um, difference in terms of what, it, what they mean. Um, how does that work when you're telling stories that are from a particular experience, but are meant to um, appeal to people who may not come from that experience? How do you bridge that gap? Well, um, it's often the case that um, the type of literature I write, that um, you try to prove your humanity. But when I set out to write this collection, I was going to assume it. I wasn't going to prove that I'm a human being. I was going to assume it. Um, I grew up in the Keele and Eglinton West area and everyone around me was an immigrant or a refugee. The last name when ran for something like 20 pages in our yearbook. So for me, when this book came out and everyone, or it was described by critics as about being people from the margins or about, or I was described as a writer from the margins. And I found that hilarious because I, in, I, don't, I don't write from the margins. I see myself and my characters at the center of a story. Um, you know, even when we, at home, my father had a map of the world and at the very center of that world is Laos. And, um, you know, when I went to school, that was not the center of the world. Um, we forget that the world is round, it's not flat. And on the left-hand side was where I came from, where my family came from. That, the, the map of the world was where we began. Those stories that you tell, actually, um, one thing that stands out to me in so many of them is that they're actually very ordinary stories, but in some yeah. ways... There are also stories um, of people that we may not think of having had these pockets of ordinariness. So um, people who work in factories also, you know, concerned about their love lives. Um, people who um, work as waitresses um, thinking about affairs. You know, there's so many things about it that sort of bring together the everyday with the dramatic um i wonder that's such a wonderful that's such a wonderful observation because that is so what i set out to do 
you know, anytime we talk about um, immigrants and refugees, we always talk about, we hear from them when they've gone to Harvard or Yale or, or when they've opened up a donut business and made a million dollars. And, you know, we never get to hear ourselves um, or hear from those who are just ordinary. And that's, and that is my subject, the ordinary. I think an ordinary life um, is valuable. It deserves to be at the center of a story. Um, and, and yeah, you just hit it. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I mean, I've seen reviews where people are actually quite angry to see um, immigrants and refugees living ordinary lives. Um, uh, it's been described as nothing happens. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, like in the movies, we're always depicted as these, you know, uh, walking on the shores or, um, you, you know, struggling, crying, um, these dramatic moments. But, you know, we, that's such a narrow view of who our own experience is and who we are. Um, we, you know, the ordinary, I think, is incredibly profound. And that is where I locate my stories. Yes, um, I, I, and I actually really love that about the stories. The, the first few, I have to admit, um, I almost expected some of them to have more. So when the story ended, I thought, wait, but where's the big thing? Where's the big part where they discover themselves? Um, and, and then I realized that I enjoyed that we didn't have to go that go there because you're right those are always the immigrant stories the 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 struggle or the um some sense of achievement and i think the thing that i wanted to to get at with that was what have you actually heard from people who read these books and did any of these reactions surprise you or did they change how you viewed the works well, um, um, I was able to see walk into some um, Zoom um, book discussions, and I I was surprised by um, how readers burst out crying at just seeing something loud on the page. Um, how meaningful and that was, um, they said that it was like I was in the room with them when they were growing up. And I didn't know that I wrote something that was so clear and real to people. Um, I was surprised by um, readers not understanding or not believing that these stories are, don't, uh, you know, are fiction. They can't believe that they're they're not real living people because it feels so real and and that is um something that I thought about how do, you know um how do you make a feeling that 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 becomes real for someone on a page it's one thing to just feel it and another to make someone feel what you put on the page Another thing I was surprised by was, you know, I 
I realized I was pre-read every time, um, uh, uh, every time I had to talk about my book, everybody assumed that it was sad, these stories, <laughs> but actually they were surprised by how funny it was. They were surprised by the warmth of the voice. Um, and I did, you know, I, so, some of the joys, I, and the I was surprised by the sadness that people thought it was so sad not to learn, know how to pronounce knife, but actually it is not, um, it, you know, it's actually a funny and powerful and strong and ferocious moment where the child doesn't know how to pronounce the word, but she insists. So that actually fits in really well with the theme of this conversation, right? Because um, I wanted to get you to expand on that idea, actually, the notion of um, laughter as being a way of learning about each other and, and the things we find funny, the things that we might laugh at, the things, the moments at which we may be driven to laugh. Um, how does knowing that about perhaps people or communities or cultures that we may not be familiar with, how does that connect us? Well, you know that someone is a friend or someone cares about you when you can laugh with them, when you can both find something funny to laugh about. Um, you know that you're home, you know that you're with your tribe when you're laughing, when you're in a group where you find the same things funny. Or, or, you know, you're in a group that can reframe what you're looking at um, in a way that, that connects you. You see the same thing. In order for a, laugh, uh, for a laughter to take place, you have to agree on the frame and the parameters and the subject and the material. And when you can do that, you can laugh. So you're in the midst of working on a novel, I understand. Um, it's going to be your first one. Yes. Um, I'm not sure how much you can tell us about it, but if you can, um, what, it, what might it be about? But also, what's that journey um, going from writing poetry to short stories to now a novel? Um, I'm a little, I don't know if it's because, you know, I've written poetry for a long time. So maybe that's where I honed my skills, but I find prose very easy to write. Um, I'm more relaxed. I don't wait 12 years to decide on a word the way it, I do with poetry. <laughs> um, you know, and even though these forms are different and the rules of each form is different, um, the material is the same. The way that an artist, you know, might only work with plastic or the color blue. I'm just working with words. I try not to be too frightened or afraid of such a project or a new project or being new at something or shifting gears. I like, you know, not having a record. Um, of, uh, of stories or a novel and to walk into it and to learn the game and, and, and to remind myself how to have fun. Um, 
the the novel is about narratives that we tell ourselves and that other people tell of us and does the narrative of who we really are matter um, people see you the way that they want people cast you in a particular role um, and you play that role forever and you don't want to play that role what happens to you I wanted to close off this uh, conversation about, um, well, about laughter and, and its use in literature, really, by asking you um, who some of your favorite writers are or, or, you know, even pieces of fiction or nonfiction that have made you laugh or have used laughter in interesting ways. I love the works of Richard Pryor. Um, in the way that he talks about his family. Um, to an ordinary person, you might be depressed or words such as humiliated, embarrassed, um, but he never, he, he doesn't take us to those familiar or easy feelings. In fact, he always makes us laugh, but not in a way that contains any kind of pity. Um, I too hate the feeling or, or I hate pity. I, and one of the lovely things about laughter is you, you create, you, you refuse pity. And I think um, that's such a wonderful power to have. Um, this, I really love the stories um, by, Carson McCullers, um, Tennessee Williams, Al Alice Monroe. Um, these are writers who refuse pity, who look at the world that they come from unflinchingly. Um, and, you know, they're critical of, of the people that they write about. But at the same time, they deeply love them and for all their flaws. And um, that's something I really respect. So Vankam, thank you for this lovely conversation and, and for your works. I've tremendously enjoyed spending time with both. Oh, thank you so much for having me here and also for reading my book. Um, you know, I started off printing and binding my own books as a little kid and putting them <laughs> in bookstores. You know, but I can only take it so far. And, you know, just knowing that my book is in Malaysia, that's a, a part of the world that I never, even with the power of my imagination, could conceive for myself. I've been speaking with Suvankam Tamavangsa. Uh, she's a writer and poet uh, from Canada. She's uh, of Lao descent, born in a refugee camp in Thailand, raised and educated in Toronto. She's written four poetry books and her short story collection is called How to Pronounce Knife. This has been Laughter at the Edge of the World, a conversation that's part of the Georgetown Literary Festival 2021. I'm Sharmila Ganesan. Thanks for listening. <laughs>